Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas with Life Over Coffee. Thank you so much for joining me. I want to talk to you about forgiveness for the next few minutes, and let me set the stage. And so let's just uh, pretend for a moment that someone has sinned against you, and then they have come to you, and they have asked you for forgiveness And you have granted forgiveness to them, and now they want to partner with you to help work through any reconciliation and restoration process that is still hanging out there. Now, that is the premise to what I want to talk about, and the reason that I want to talk about it is because in some relationships where there is an offender and the offended, you just don't break away from those relationships. Those are not in-the-moment relationships, but they are long-term relationships relationships. And in long-term relationships like marriage, where one person sins against the other, and then forgiveness is asked for and forgiveness is granted, they do have to go on and live together. They have to continue to work through whatever residual conflict and problems that are out there because of the sin that was committed. And so this aspect of forgiveness is incredibly important because all of us are in long-term relationships, whether it's marriage, it is family, it's in the church, it's friends that we have in the workplace. And because we are in proximity to each other, of course we're going to sin against each other. Now that is the beauty of forgiveness because you can genuinely repent or you can genuinely ask someone to forgive you and you can receive that forgiveness, but there is a history there. We don't forgive and forget because our minds do not work that way. And so the offender and the offended have to continue on in a relationship. And so they have to have a way of thinking about that because what could happen is that you can harbor bitterness in your heart. You could have pockets of silence that can come between you. And so we want to make sure that we do more than just ask for forgiveness and grant it, but we want to move beyond that particular aspect of the repentance process and move into reconciliation and restoration in a harmonic way, not a dysfunctional way. Therefore, we have to learn how to live with each other after we sin against each other and after we ask for and grant forgiveness. Now, that is what I want to talk about for the next few minutes. I am Rick Thomas. This is lifeovercoffee.com. You can find me in my coffee shop, lifeovercoffee.com. We believe that any two people can come together and do life over coffee. And we we create resources that spark conversation for transformation. And so you will find hundreds upon hundreds. Let me restate that. You will find thousands upon thousands of resources that you can use and benefit from. And this is one of them. Let me share the title with you. The man who destroyed our home wants forgiveness. And so let me provide you a a fictional case study to think about with this premise in mind of an ongoing relationship after the sin event, after forgiveness. Biff and Mabel, of course, are my fictional friends that always make an excellent case study for us to think about. And so here you go. Biff destroyed his marriage. And shortly after, he experienced conviction from God for what he did. Conviction is a good thing. 
Think about cutting your hand and not feeling the pain, stubbing your toe and not feeling the pain. Pain is a good thing. It lets you know that you are normal, that your body is operating as it should. It is signaling to you that there is something wrong and you need to take care of it. Conviction is very similar. When the Spirit of God brings uh, his grief and, and and brings a quenching into our souls. We sense that something is askew in our psyche when we transgress God's law, and that's what Biff was feeling. He felt conviction from the Spirit of God in accordance to the Word of God. And so he began to walk out repentance, and his repentance was genuine. As affirmed by his pastor and several other church leaders, but also two of his workmates. And so in response to the Lord's maneuvering in his heart and with the blessing and the oversight of his pastor, Biff made an authentic confession to God, always vertical first. Dear God, I confess, I agree with you that what I have done is wrong in accordance to what your word teaches. But more than that, he made a confession to Mabel as well on the horizontal plane, asking her to forgive him for what he did. In a strange turn of events, the man who destroyed his family wants to be part of God's restoration team to put it back together again. Now, this is analogous to Christ and us. We're no different from Biff. The offenders cooperate with the offended for God's glory, for our benefit, and of course, for the good of others. Well, Biff was a sooty-handed offender. He burnt down his house, so to speak. And so along with his confession and his, forgi- <coughs> excuse me, his forgiveness request, he then asked the most profound question of all. I want to help restore what I have destroyed. Genuine repentance is more than confessing your sin and asking for forgiveness. Now, those two elements of repentance are absolutely essential, but there is more to do to change completely. True repentance is turning 180 degrees, degrees from where you were while embarking in the opposite direction. Sin had entangled and estranged Biff. He actively participated in a hedonistic lifestyle. Now he is walking out repentance, which means he is actively walking away from his ungodly life. And part of that process was his request to join his wife in a mutual effort to rebuild what he had destroyed. Let me illustrate it this way. Suppose someone did burn down your house. They burn it to the ground. Let's further suppose the person genuinely repented, as Biff is doing. He comes to you and he asks for your forgiveness. He wants to help you rebuild the destroyed home as part of his repentance process. And there you are. Standing in the charred rubble of his sin, your tears have cut paths across your soot-covered face. Biff is in the yard looking at you, and you see the soot on his hands and the gasoline in the container at his feet. With smoke in the air and destruction all around you, there is a sincere request from Biff to you for forgiveness 
What are you going to do with your sooty-handed offender? Several years ago, I used this burnt house illustration with a couple during counseling. The husband was guilty of sinning against God and his wife. He repented, which began a positive change process that several others who were close to him affirmed, including one of his pastors. His wife was angry over what has what had happened, as you might imagine. After a while, though, the anger continued to harbor in her heart, and she became bitter, and that's when you know you have transgressed with your anger. Prolonged anger turns to bitterness if you do not submit it to the power of the gospel, which is what happened to that wife. No amount of conversation would change her mind. She stayed angry for several years until she finally filed for divorce. The husband, in this case, continued to walk out repentance, even though she was unwilling to forgive him. I mean, there was no question that his repentance was genuine because his repentance was not built upon how she would respond. No, he really knew that he was wrong and he was going to do right regardless if she did right or wrong. Now, I realized what I was asking her to do. There is no question that it's one of the hardest things that anyone can do. When you are hurt deeply by someone, even if the perpetrator of the sin is genuine in their repentance, it takes otherworldly favor to forgive the offender. That wife would not consider it. Now, I was not placing an artificial timeline on her to change her mind. And so with much patience and prayer, we appealed and we also waited, but she would not change. She chose, regrettably, she chose divorce. Now, this problem brings you to the heart of the gospel. One of the most diagnostic quest- most important diagnostic questions that you, we could ever ask ourselves is our willingness to authentically forgive the person who has sinned against us. Now, I am not talking about a person who is not living in genuine repentance. I'm talking about a person who is genuinely walking out repentance. Now, of course, I realize that this this situation can raise a lot of other questions about forgiveness. This is not an exhaustive treatment of forgiveness. I am only dealing with one slender slice of it. I mean, for example, I know that some people that are listening to this or watching it, they're thinking, well, what if the offender does not ask for forgiveness? And then someone else will ask, well, what if their repentance is not genuine? And then, of course, how long must I work through my hurt before forgiving someone authentically? Now, these crucial questions that they go beyond the scope of what I'm sharing with you. Let me say it. Let me help you with those this way. I have written extensively on forgiveness, especially those questions. And you can find those questions. You can find the answers, rather, at lifeovercoffee.com. And that's what I would encourage you to do. I don't want to dismiss your questions because they're important. And perhaps some of you have additional questions to the three that I just proffered. But what I want to talk about here is one aspect of forgiveness, and that is our need to forgive those who are genuinely seeking it. To withhold forgiveness when it is when it is genuinely requested, well, it will put us in an adversarial relationship with God while never reconciling our relationship with the offender. If they are genuine, 
the best that we can discern such things, then we do have to forgive them sooner than later. Perhaps considering these few verses will help to keep our minds calibrated rightly on the gospel's practicality. Here's a couple of verses from Matthew 6, starting in verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Strong language, Matthew 6. Here is another one from Mark 11, verse number 25. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. And so in the case of ongoing relationship, like say a marriage, this is what Biff and Mabel are in, true forgiveness does not stop with the transaction. It can't because you have an ongoing relationship with the individual. It is possible that someone could sin against you. They could ask you for forgiveness. You could grant it and you go your separate ways because you're not best buds. But in marriage, we, we forgive the offender for their sins against us, and we really have to allow them to partner with us in the restoration process. Our goal is to rebuild what the sinner destroyed. And I am describing one of the most profound facets of the gospel. In my illustration about the burned home, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit represent the offended party, the victim of the crime. You and I are the sooty-handed offenders who opposed God, even to the point of putting Jesus on the cross. Sin had captured us. We led Jesus to the slaughter like a sheep before its shearers. Our actions caused Him to be despised and afflicted, pierced and punished. We burned down His house. It was because of our heinous acts against God that He gave us the gospel. His great love provided us an opportunity to repent and experience release from our sins. We, the accused, were freed from the guilt and punishment that we justly deserved. For freedom, Christ has set us free. But the story does not stop there with the request for forgiveness and the granting of it. It is even sweeter than being forgiven and set free from our crimes. The Lord has given us the privilege of joining the one that we offended for the great work of bringing other people into Christ's freedom. The offenders, you and me, we cooperate with the offended, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in this great gospel work. We are ambassadors for Christ as God makes His appeal to many sooty handed offenders through us, the previous sooty-handed offenders. Once enemies of the cross, now we are, we are God's freedom fighters. This opportunity is amazing grace. This privilege is the power of the gospel acti activated and deployed in and through us. It reminds me of Acts 9.1, one of my favorite verses in context of someone who was hostile to the gospel. That sentence goes like this, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. 
when Paul the Apostle was previously named Saul in his former manner of life, he had a pastime, and that was harassing Christians. He hated them. Acts 9.1, in that sentence, it talks about his hatred for Christians as, as breathing out threats and murder toward the disciples of the Lord. And then Paul became a Christian. After being born a second time, he started working with the people he previously persecuted. As you can imagine, they were initially nervous about working with him. But they chose not to withhold forgiveness when he requested it. They reconciled with Paul, and they became partners in the gospel adventure. But it gets better. Today, the persecutor of the Christians, Paul, and the formerly persecuted Christians, the ones he persecuted, they are worshiping the Savior today in heaven. The power of the gospel testifies that we can experience reconciliation today and throughout eternity. Now, the question for us is whether or not we will seek forgiveness or we will seek to forgive others, rather, when we have the opportunity to do so. And they are genuinely asking us for forgiveness. Forgiveness words are not empty words. Forgiveness words are redemptive words that find their origin in transformed hearts. I'm talking about genuine forgiveness extended toward other people who want to experience release from their sin. These people were like you and me when we asked God to forgive us. One of the ways that you can know if your forgiveness words are redemptive words is if your forgiveness and reconciliation move into a gospel partnership. This coupling of the offender and the offended is essential, especially for married partners. When Lucia and I sin against each other, we must do more than forgive each other. We must be reconciled and we must be restored for gospel purposes. We can't go our separate ways. Sometimes all you will do is experience forgiveness and, and reconciliation where there is no sin between you and, and the person who offended you. But you will not continue in a gospel partnership because you don't have a relationship with the other person. In such situations, it's unnecessary to keep relating to each other or trying to be best buddies. But in the case of marriage... We must fight for the one flesh union. We must fight for our covenant. Those who forgave Paul for his actions, they went beyond forgiveness by partnering with him in the gospel mission. Whether or not you are to partner with someone, you must ensure that your forgiveness words are not in vain. It would be best to use redemptive words affirmed by transformative actions that move two people toward reconciliation and restoration. There are two ways to withhold forgiveness from someone, and both of those ways will take our minds captive while straining our relationships. The first way is we withhold transactional forgiveness when someone asks us to forgive them. The second way is that we withhold attitudinal forgiveness when someone is not asking us for transactional forgiveness. 
Now, in this talk, I am speaking specifically of transactional forgiveness between two people where there was a, an offender and there is the offended. In such situations, the offended, the one who is sinned against, must not withhold forgiveness when the offender is asking for it. And so transactional forgiveness begins with the offended person's attitude. It must be a genuine, transformed heart of mercy toward that sinner. Our hearts have to be prepared to receive that sinner, the offending person, should or when they come and ask for forgiveness. Now, a heart of forgiveness, an attitude of forgiveness, is not releasing them from their offense. They cannot be released from their offense until they ask to be released from their offense. But the reason you want to have a heart of forgiveness, whether it's transacted or not, is because you don't want to succumb to the capturing effects of what sinners have done to you. Of course, if the offenders do not ask for forgiveness, they never come to you and own what they did, then the offended person must beg God to give them favor so that they can keep from drowning in the anger and the bitterness of an unforgiving heart. And so attitudinal forgiveness is absolutely essential regardless of what the offending party does. Sometimes you will have a bonus. You'll not only have a heart of forgiveness, but you will be able to transact it too as God is operative in the offender's heart as well. There is too much at stake to hold on to unforgiveness toward those who have hurt you. Unforgiveness will capture our hearts. It will ruin our minds. Unforgiveness will strain and ruin our relationships. Unforgiveness will negatively impact those who observe our Christianity. Unforgiveness the unforgiveness will smear the fame of God. And then unforgiveness will put us in an adversarial relationship with God. And so regardless of what the other person does, minimally we must have an attitude of forgiveness toward all of those who have forgiven us. I was doing a TV uh, interview just last night, as a matter of fact, and the gentleman was asking me, he said, well, talk to me about uh, your two brothers getting murdered. And at some point in the conversation, he asked me about my attitude toward the two people that mur murdered my brothers. And, and I told him that I had no ill will toward what they have done. I, I, I pray for them. I, I'm not angry at them. I'm not bitter of them. I'm not unforgiving in my heart of them, though neither one of them have come to me and asked for forgiveness for killing uh, my two brothers uh, 10 years apart in 87 and 1997. And he said that you are such a forgiving person. Now, I couldn't get into all of that because of the restraints of the TV interview that I was doing. Uh, but one of the things that I wanted to tell him that, well, what I have done to Christ is far superior and more significant than what they have done to me or what they did to my brothers. I'm not minimizing the death of my brothers at all. But when I think about Christ on the cross, then that is a more significant event. That is the gravest. That is 
is the cruelest event that's ever been perpetrated by mankind on anyone, the killing of God's dear son. And when I realized that that event was caused by me, how can I withhold at least an attitude of forgiveness toward those people who murdered my brothers? I can't, and I don't have an attitude of unforgiveness toward them. But the second thing that I wanted to tell him also is that I have, I have a dream. Uh, I imagine someday that, like Paul, standing with— now, I did tell him this, actually. I did say this, uh, that I have a, a, this, uh, this dream that someday, like Paul, standing with the people that he persecuted and worshiping the one that we killed, I hope someday that my brother, uh, my, the person who murdered them, and me can stand in heaven— and the, the one who murdered the other, and all three of us standing together, and we're worshiping the one that we put to death. The death of Christ and our role in the death of Christ has to be the great calibrator. Uh, that has to be the governor that brings us down a notch to help us to realize that we are the sooty-handed offenders. And that needs to give us the, the periscope to look out on all other people. What have we been given, what, what have we been given that was not given to us? Uh, if we have been extended the grace of salvation by God, we did not earn that for by grace we have been saved. And for those who have yet to come into this regenerative experience with God, we need to have pity upon them. We need to have a heart of compassion. But not only that, God forgives us every day, as John is saying, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so not only do we receive mercy in our salvation, but we receive mercy daily from God. And if that is true, which it is, we need to have a heart, an attitude of mercy, an attitude of forgiveness toward other people, whether they ever come and transact or not. I have titled this, The Man Who Destroyed Our Home Wants Forgiveness. I'm going to wrap up, but I do want to get into my call to action. You will find that at the end of, of all of our content. I want to give questions to help you wrestle with uh, some of them. A lady just posted on our forums just this morning, I read. Uh, she is going through my book, Suffering Well. It is this book here for those of you on, on, on the podcast. I'm holding it up for the video, uh, Suffering Well, How to steward God's most feared blessing. Very good book, I think, uh, but she is going through it, and actually she's answering the questions to chapter number one, and she put them on our private forum. That is one of the benefits for those of you who uh, support our ministry. You can go behind the paywall and get on our private forum. But nevertheless, she put those questions out there because she's wrestling through them, and we try to put uh, CTA opportunities at the end of all of our content. Also, uh, the three books that I've written to this date at the end of every chapter, there are CTA opportunities. And so I have a few questions here. Has someone hurt you? I realize that is an unnecessary question because all of us have been hurt. Someone has offended all of us. And by the way, newsflash, we have hurt others too. This is what fallen people do. We're like professionals. We know how to hurt people. Fallen people cannot live in a fallen world and not hurt others. It's a sad outcome of our fallen lives. All people hurt people at some time in our lives. So the better discussion is whether or not you will forgive. Transactionally, if you have the opportunity, 
attitudinally, you always have the opportunity because it's not dependent on what they do. One way to know if you have forgiven someone is by how you think and how you talk about them. How do you think and talk about the person who has hurt you? Are you bitter, critical, cynical, or any other form of anger toward them? Or, alternatively, do you sense a biblical pity for them, knowing that you're no different apart from the grace of God in your life? And so as the gentleman on the TV interview was saying, you are so forgiving. Well, not because I'm special, not because of anything that I have earned or anything that I have willed myself into. No, it's because of the grace of God. God has worked in my heart in such a way and has taught me to appropriate grace in such a way that I pity the two people who murdered my two brothers. And that is the place to where we must come to. And so how do you talk about, how do you think about those who have hurt you? Number two, are you willing to forgive those who are asking you for forgiveness? Now, this question is, a, is about a transactional event between two people. Question number three, are you willing to attitudinally forgive those who have yet to ask you for forgiveness and you may and they may never ask you for forgiveness. The cool thing about attitudinal forgiveness is it it doesn't release them from their guilt, but it frees you from the control of what they did to you. Number 4, is there someone in your life with whom you are withholding forgiveness? If you are, how long will you continue to withhold your forgiveness? Now, I would ask you, if you are in this camp, would you consider this question in light of Christ's refusal to withhold mercy from you? Question five, who has burned your house down? Are you ready to show mercy to them? Let me wrap up with this passage. It's quite powerful. Uh, it is one that the Lord has used in my heart. We're going to break into this pericope here in, in Matthew 18. Many of you will know the story. If you don't, please go to Matthew 18 and read the full account. But where we break in, it says this, Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all of that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you who do not forgive your brother from your heart. If you want to find this on our website, the title of it is, The Man Who Destroyed Our Home wants forgiveness. You can read the article, listen to the podcast, watch the video. I would love for you to do it. Go down to the bottom. There's a big button right in the middle, right up under the article, and you can print it off into a PDF. Share it with your friends. Mark it up. Use it in your small group or, you know, just grab some coffee and do a little life over coffee. This is Rick Thomas. Thank you and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.